Well, we're in Luke's gospel when I'm preaching on a, a Sunday morning. The last time, uh, well, it was last Sunday morning, wasn't it? We looked at uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. The only childhood incident that gets any uh, notable mention is in Luke chapter 2, where uh, at the age of 12, he goes to Jerusalem at the Passover with his parents. And we spent a couple of sessions uh, considering that section. But I want to move now into chapter 3. There have been 18 years of silence. Uh, they are covered by two verses at the end of Luke chapter 2, which are quite remarkable verses. And uh, we'll, take, uh, we'll really repay careful meditation and thoughts. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in favour with God and men. But I want to come into chapter 3 now. And uh, three points I think we're going to look at. Uh, history, herald, and headline. The history, the herald, and the headline. Uh, the history. Luke is clearly a historian and he sets his accounts in history. In chapter 1, at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he tells us in chapter 1 and verse 5, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest, Zacharias. It's in the days of King Herod. Uh, and now, 30 years later, uh, the preaching of John the Baptist, the uh, forerunner, of the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke is inspired to tell us the history, uh, who was around at the time, and uh, the sorts of events that were happening. Here it is, the history, chapter 3 and verse 1. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Eturia and the region of Trachonitis, and Lysenius, tetrarch of Abilene. And then some religious context, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. There's something of the history. Uh, they were dark, evil days. And we might think that... Uh, our days are tough. Because of sin, because of what happened in Eden, all days are dark. There are little flickers of comparative peace, but because of sin, the whole world is in turmoil. There's only one answer, and Luke is going to bring that out and bring us to the headline. Uh, this morning. But the world has always been dark. There is nothing new in our contemporary difficulties. Tiberius was the Roman emperor. History tells us he was something of a, a reluctant uh, emperor. Didn't particularly want to be uh, the emperor. He quickly became a recluse. He withdrew Tacitus, a Roman historian, 
born in AD 56, died AD 120, so a real contemporary. Uh, Tacitus describes um, Tiberius in this way. He was the gloomiest of men. That's quite a, a statement, isn't it? I don't know if you know any gloomy uh, people, but if you were in the presence of Tiberius, uh, you might well say with uh, Tacitus, he was the, the gloomiest of, of men. In AD 26, which is the setting of these particular events now, in AD 26, Tacitus tells us that Tiberius withdrew himself to the Isle of Capri. Now, it's a beautiful island. And there, he conducted a life the rest of his days in hedonism and debauchery, and he was intensely paranoid about people usurping his position. This was the Roman emperor, um, the leader, the supreme head of the superpower of the time, Tiberius Caesar. And the Roman Empire is pretty much at its zenith right now, and they're doing all they can to hold on to their colonies and expand them further. There were many wars taking place. There's insurrection throughout the empire. The Romans are doing all they can to keep the peace, the Pax Romana. But in uh, AD 21, there's an uprising in the Netherlands. In AD 28, uh, the Gauls rose up in uh, what we now know as France. AD 26, in Judea, there's much insurrection. There's a group of men known as the, the Zealots who are keen to overthrow Rome. And one of the zealots, a man called Barabbas, was uh, quite a, a notorious character. He features in the Gospels. Another zealot became a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus took in uh, a real zealot, a, a terrorist, an insurrectionist, and made him one of his own uh, disciples. It were, they were troubled times. A little bit later, AD 43, uh, the Romans move into a little island to the north, off the coast there, the north of Gaul, and it's known as Britannia. And uh, the Roman soldiers and armies march, and uh, Caractacus puts up a brave fight, but uh, Rome comes into Britain. They were turbulent times. There's the Roman emperor. There's the current superpower of the time. In Israel, at the death of Herod the Great, who was around at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, Herod's reign is divided into four tetrarchies, and there are four tetrarchs appointed. There's Herod Antipas, we're told about him. There's his brother uh, Herod Philip. There's this mysterious character known as Licinius, and for many, many years, no one could find any record of this man, Licinius. And it was thought this was an error in the Bible. But in 1850, a man called John Hogg uh, discovered a, a clay tablet with Licinius' name uh, inscribed on it in the region of Abilene. So the Bible is proved to be true uh, yet again. There's also a tetrarch, the fourth, named Archelaus, 
and he oversees Judea. But he's a bit of a ne'er-do-good. He's even worse than the rest. And he's quickly overthrown. And the Romans impose, and this is important, direct rule on Judea and Jerusalem. And they install their governors in Jerusalem from 6 AD onwards. There is now a Roman governor in Judea. And from AD 26, the setting of this particular account here in Luke, to AD 36, the governor is a man called Pontius Pilate. And at this stage, the prophecy in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10 comes to pass. I'll read from verse 8. Here's the prophecy about the tribe of Judah. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? And here's the prophecy. The scepter, the symbol of power, shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall the gathering of the people be. There'll come a time when power will pass from Judah. And at that time, Shiloh will appear. And Shiloh can be translated in a number of ways. It certainly means bringer of peace. It can mean uh, his gift. And we know that the lion from the tribe of Judah would come. And it's at this time, as power has departed from Judah, that this Shiloh, bringer of peace, his gift would arise. There's the situation politically in Israel. What about religiously? The religious leaders. Well, we don't have to go very far before we see the terrible mess there. Verse 2. It's while Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. Now, Annas, he's the high priest from 6 AD to 15 AD. Then he is replaced by Caiaphas, his son-in-law, from 15 AD to 46 AD. But Annas never disappears from the scene. He features in the Gospel accounts. In fact, Jesus is taken first of all to Annas before he goes to Caiaphas at the trial. It seems that Annas, the father-in-law, is the power before Caiaphas, who is the, the figurehead. The times and the setting here in Luke chapter 3, let's understand and realise they are dark times, politically, morally, and spiritually. And what has changed today? Is there any hope in any political leader in the world? We pray for them. May God give them wisdom and strength. But is there any hope there in Biden, in Johnson? Any hope? Do we put our hope there? Is there any hope in any religious leader However good a pastor may or may not be, is there any hope in any human being? The world is a dark place, always has been, and always will be until Christ returns. 
and all will be restored. Oh, what a day. Are you looking forward to that day? New heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth not sin but righteousness. Oh, speed on the day. Hasten the day. And when the last of the elect comes to faith in Christ, then the trumpet sounds, the shout of the archangel, then he descends, then behold, I make all things new. But until that time, there's no hope in any religious or political leader. Dark times. But in the midst of the darkness comes hope. The darkest hour is just before dawn. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, here it is, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Here is a messenger. Here is one who comes proclaiming. Uh, he's John the Baptist. He's in the wilderness. He's the promised forerunner. He's the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And he is the one who comes proclaiming. And the Greek word proclaim, kariso, means a, a, a herald. The word of God, the word of God. In the midst of darkness, where is there any light? That's why it's important that we, uh, we read the Bible regularly. It's, a, it's a, quite a modern privilege, actually. Uh, in first century times, you wouldn't have your own personal Bible. Uh, you, there were scrolls, certainly, early on in the life of the church, and, and the scrolls, and uh, then they're put into to book form, but you had to be uh, very privileged to own one yourself. No, you went to church, and you sat and you listened, and you memorized, and you soaked it in, and services would be long because they needed to be long because the people were hungry for the Word of God. But we, we have Bibles ourselves, and I've got several on my phone. I've got so many versions here. I've got the Greek interlinear. Do you think the pastor's, assistant pastor's clever at times? He's not. He's got his interlinear, the Greek and the English, and he can press a button, and I get the Greek definitions and all the terms and the tenses and the parsings. It's all there. It's all there. How privileged we, we are. The Word of God. At the entrance of your Word comes light. Light. Have we spent time in this Word which we now have in our possession this morning? I was with a couple of friends last night. We were just sharing together a lovely uh, evening and we got on to talking together. And how, how do we conduct our quiet times and two of them said they spend time at the moment re just reading chunks of the Bible half an hour in the morning half an hour in the evening it's quite a challenge to me I'm going quite slowly through the Psalms just a few verses and and there are various ways that we I mean there is to read it we we're thinking was it last week we were thinking I can't remember I lose track no that's the ladies meeting this Wednesday there's little uh little advertiser for the ladies meeting this Wednesday. Various ways we can take in the Word of God. We can read huge chunks, certainly. But we can go into the minutiae and we can meditate and we can soak in. But at the entrance of your Word comes light. And in the darkness, this is our light because it points us to the Saviour of the world. Isaiah saw it, chapter 9 and verse 2. It was the same at the fall, the same in Isaiah's time, the time of Christ, and still today, 
the people are walking in darkness. There is no light outside the gospel. There is no hope outside Christ. Don't give your heart to politics. Get involved, certainly. Understand me, I'm not saying don't get involved in politics. I'm saying don't give it your heart. There's no answer there. There's no answer. The only light comes from the gospel. The only hope for mankind is Jesus Christ. So the people walking in darkness, says Isaiah, have seen a great light. Why? What is it for? Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. He shall be called, do we still think he's this? Wonderful? Counselor? Mighty God? Everlasting Father? Prince? Of peace? Are you in turmoil this morning? You need the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks peace of the increase. Praise God, of the increase. Some say, well, churches are in decline. The gospel's not in decline. People are being saved day in and day out. Oh, why isn't it like Pentecost where uh, about 3,000 were converted? I'll tell you this. And it'll be no understatement. There'll be more than 3,000 converted today to the glory of God by His grace throughout the whole world. And Lord, while and others thou art calling, do not pass us by. Of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. So, how wonderful, how marvelous. We have the herald. We have the herald. Into that darkness comes the herald. There's the history Here's the herald, John the Baptist. He came preaching this message. The herald heralded. Cariso means a herald. Today, if you want news, my wife's in Mid Wales and uh, she sent me news. Now, she just presses some buttons on her phone, comes to my phone. Not only that, she can send me pictures. Not only that, she can send videos. It's one of my granddaughter's birthdays this morning and she's there in mid-Wales and I sent her a video this morning. It's quite amazing. But 2,000 years ago, you couldn't do that. There were not smartphones. If a king wanted a message taking, he would send a herald and the herald would travel. He'd get to the region and he'd call out with a loud voice, Oh, yay! Oh, yay! Gather round. And when the people had gathered... Thus says the king. Trumpeters would come if it's really important with the herald. There'd be quite a fanfare and the trumpets would sound and the voice would be raised and people would gather and the message would be given. And John the Baptist comes as a herald. The word of God comes to John the Baptist. He doesn't keep it to himself. It's a burden on his heart. It's something he must share. It's a fire in his bones. And he declares that message to, to who? Well, to all. To all who are in that region in the wilderness of the Jordan. To all. All who came were able to hear. In the first hymn that we sang, who's the gospel for? It's for the world. It's for you. Are you saved here this morning? If not, why ever not? The world is dark. 
If Tacitus was gloomy, he had every reason to be gloomy, for the world is gloomy. It seems very unlikely he ever came to faith in Jesus Christ, but what about you? You heard so much. He is one who can lift the gloom. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, and this word comes to, to all. It's for the world. Joy to the world. Let every heart prepare him room. Every heart. Have you got room for the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart this morning, the very centre of your being? Is there room? I'm speaking to myself as a Christian, speaking to Christian people, let's start there. Is there room for Jesus? I remember an old hymn from years ago in my student days. Have you any room for Jesus? Room for pleasure, room for business, but for Christ the crucified? No room, no room. Have you any room for Jesus? Are, are things crowding in? Open up. Give him centre stage. Oh, there's much we need to do in the world, but keep him at the centre. All oh, those wonderful words of Ignatius come to my mind again. Let none but Christ dazzle you. So who's dazzling you in the gloom? Politics, well, no, I'm being drawn there. We've got some politicians here this morning. I, I don't know, but I, I keep on mentioning politics. Oh, it's the setting, isn't it? The history, that's what's uh, drawing me. That can never be the, the answer. Get involved, do good, certainly, but it's n don't give it your heart. Jesus, let none but Jesus dazzle you. So the herald comes heralding to all the world. Now, today... Darkness in the world, nothing new. Johnson, Biden, Putin, religiously Canterbury, Wales, but the word of God, here it is. It has come to us as it came to John the Baptist. It's invaded our hearts if we're Christians here this morning. Now what are we going to do with it? We've got to give it out. This little light of mine, I feel a song coming on. I've got to let it shine. Jesus bids us shine. Do you know the one? With a pure, is it in the hymn book? Clear light. Like a little candle burning in the night. You know, I've been a, I live in a big old farmhouse on the edge of St. Melons, and it's only me and the dog there. It was built in 1600. I tell you, it creaks at night. And when you're alone, it creaks a lot more than when your wife is with you. And so I turn a little light on. I'm 65, I mean, goodness me. What was that noise? Put a light on, I can see it straight away. Oh, I'm not very bright, I wish I was a... Listen, this little light of mine. Like a little candle, you'll see it, because it's dark out there. All we've got to do is, well, live it. And when we get the opportunity, speak it. You know, you'd be amazed. People out there are hoping there's something in what you and I believe because there's no, no hope in the world. They know that. Hedonism, try and get a bit of pleasure, but it doesn't fulfill them. And you and me, the gospel, they're, they're hoping it's true. Let's not disappoint them. You in your small corner and I in mine. 
It's wonderful here. I mean, represented here this morning, quite a cross-section of uh, society all around. We've got some youngsters. We've got some children. We've got some older folks. We've got people from all sorts of backgrounds. And as we leave here, we're going to all sorts of places. We're being scattered across the city. And Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And you are the light of the world. And if the world is gloomy, what's the answer? It's not Boris Johnson. And may God bless him and give him wisdom. But the light will come through the gospel as it shines through you and me. So there's the history. There's the herald. Now the final point this morning. The headlines. The headlines. What is the message. Now Luke's going to tell us throughout the rest of uh, the gospel the, 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 the wonderful good news. But it's as if here in chapter 3 and verse 3, so wonderful, we get the headlines. The tabloid headlines are coming now. What is Christianity all about? And he went into all the region around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. The remission of sins. Some translations, it's a better one. Actually, the two are very good. The forgiveness of sins. I think this is so wonderful. Makes you want to... Sh- well, isn't it great to have your sins forgiven? Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it marvellous when I, I know what I am? You, haven't, you don't know the half of it. And I'm thankful I don't know the half of you. Wouldn't it be terrible if we had a screen on our foreheads flashing up our thoughts constantly? I, I, I had my face in shame. I'd put a, some curtains over that screen, wouldn't, wouldn't you? But God sees it all. God sees it all. And he's forgiven it all. It's really quite remarkable. Remission, forgiveness of sins, sin and sins lead to death, the wages of sin, what we earn is, is death. Here's God's law. It's like a mirror for me. And uh, I read the, the Ten Commandments, thinking of a young lad now who came to, to St. Melons out, out of the blue, and uh, no Christian friends, never been to church, but started reading the Bible. He said, I got to Exodus. Tell you, he said it terrified me because I read the Ten Commandments and the life I was living. I'd broken every one. And he, but he said, I kept on reading. He went all the way through. He got to the New Testament. And he said, that's why he's come to church because I read about Jesus. And there was an occasion, he said, he'd never been to church, never, never met a Christian. He's just reading through the gospel. And suddenly, he's thinking, can it be true? Can it be true? And suddenly he thought, it is true. It is true. It came to him. And he said, all the relief. I was very sceptical. He came to church that first time. I was really sceptical. Who do you think Jesus is? The Son of God. Well, yeah, we can all say that, can't we? I'm sceptical. What does that mean? Oh, he's God who became a man. And what's he done? He died for my sins. And he said, I tell you that. When I realized it, what a relief. It was a great burden. He said, I was so lightheaded. He said, I felt sick. I was so relieved in realizing my sins have been forgiven. Sins forgiven. Sins cancelled. The remission. 
Oh, the relief. A Christian is forgiven. Are you a Christian this morning? You've been forgiven. Never, 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 never forget. Never forget you've been forgiven. And isn't it wonderful? In the gospel, my past sins, Psalm 65, so from naught up to now, my past sins are gone. The sins I'll commit today are gone. But oh, how wonderful. Future sins I'll commit from now until the day I leave this planet are gone. Gone. It's an old chorus. One of the CSM choruses. Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Now my soul is free and in my heart's a song. Buried in the deeper sea. Yes, that's good enough for me. I shall live eternally, praise God. My sins are gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. What a, what a joy. Now my soul is free, and in my heart's a song. Sins forgiven. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me. He heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet on a rock. He established my steps. He's put a new song in my mouth, a praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. Micah 7, verse 19, from which this chorus took its little phrase, it's uh, buried in the depths of the sea. Buried. Gone. Gone. Thinking of Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress, and I'll remember, Nathan, what you said oh, there you are, on, uh, on Wednesday in that lovely, winsome way of Nathan's pilgrim's progress. Nathan, just taking that uh, chapter, showing the children of Israel need to move, move forward, move, move forward. Pilgrim's progress, not pilgrim's standstill. Now, what, what are we this morning? Are we pilgrims in reverse? Are we pilgrims at standstill? Are we making progress? I'm thinking of pilgrim now, that burden. Sin, remember that he puts it so graphically. The burden of sin on his shoulders and he, uh, why are you looking so glum? Oh, I've read in this book that uh, wrath is coming. I flee from the wrath to come. I don't know where to go. I have this burden on my back. And evangelist points him towards, do you see uh, yonder straight gate? No, I don't. I think I do. Do you see the light? I think I can see the light. Uh, go towards the light, go through the gate, and, and you will see. He goes through the gate, I'm, I'm cutting it really short, he goes uh, up the hill, of course, and he, he sees the cross of Calvary, and Jesus dying for the burden of his sin. And he says, oh, the burden fell off my back and rolled away down the hill. And Bunyan says, Christian gave three leaps for joy and went on his way rejoicing. Why? Sin's forgiven. Sin's forgiven. Tacitus says Tiberius was the gloomiest of men. Can it be said of us that we're gloomy? Sins forgiven. Now let's come to a conclusion. How does it happen? How can my sins be forgiven? And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission 
of sins. Repentance for the remission of sins. There's something I need to do. I must repent. I must recognize what I am and what I've done and what I'm doing and what I will do. God is holy and pure. He dwells in depths of burning light and heaven is his dwelling place. It's a land of delightful purity. Nothing that defiles shall ever enter in. And I am a sinner and I sin because I'm a sinner. I have a problem. It's called sin. And because I'm a sinner, I sin and do things wrong. And I must repent. Not primarily. Now, let me be careful here. I don't repent primarily of what I've done, although that's included, of course. Some say, oh, I've done so many such terrible things, God cannot forgive me. The problem is not primarily what you've done, but what you are. A sinner, a rebel at the heart of you and me is sin and rebellion against God that manifests itself in things that I do. And people maybe like to parade, oh, I tell you, I did all this. It's what you are that calls you to do those things. Now, I'm not excusing what we do. Get me clear on that. But little sinner or great sinner, respectable sins or the horrendous sins. All will sink us to hell. But primarily it's what we are that's the problem. And Christ came to put right what we are. He lived for me, he died for me, he rose again. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus and John the Baptist is going to herald the Lord Jesus Christ. But I need to repent. This Greek word metanoia, think again. Change of heart, change of mind, change of direction. And what's the source of my forgiveness? Well, it's not my repentance. It's not my faith. Repent of what you are. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the source of my forgiveness? It's not my repentance, not my faith, not my church attendance. It's Jesus it's the Shiloh, it's the lion of the tribe of Judah, it's the bringer of peace. He is the one who takes away not only the sins of the world, but my sin. Thinking of this uh, young chap that came to faith, uh, he said, uh, I said, oh, what has Jesus done? Uh, he's died. Who's he died for? Well, he's not only died for the world, but he's died for me. I believe that Jesus died not only intellectually, but spiritually. Something personal. Jesus Christ, the second person, the one triune God, leaves the glory of heaven, comes to this planet, takes a human body like yours and mine. He hasn't stopped being God. He takes a human nature like yours and mine, except there's no sin in him. A perfect human nature, absolute uh, divinity in this one person, Jesus Christ. Jesus, for me, a body uh, takes. A body you, Father, have prepared for me. He's born of the Virgin. He lives here for 33 years. He went around doing good. 
He kept the law of God for you because you can't do it. He dies on Calvary because the wages of sin is death. He's dying for the sins of a sinful world. He's the one who takes away the sin of the world. It's not your repentance, not your faith, not your activity. It's Jesus. So this morning, have you been forgiven? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you know what it is to have sins forgiven? Then rejoice. It's the biggest event that will ever happen to you on planet Earth. It's good to get married. It's good to have children. It's good to get a new job, a new house, holidays. There's nothing like forgiveness of sins. Telling the children, wasn't early, I forgot what I had for my birthday last year. I've never forgotten what God gave me in 1976. Forgiveness of sins, still the same, ever more remarkable. Rejoice in that. If you're not yet saved, my friends, get saved. Go to Jesus. Go to him now. Repent and believe. Trust in him. Rest in his finished work. And if we are Christians, stay by him. Let's never move. Let's never move. May he be our central star, our son, the one we look to, Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Here it is then, the history, the herald. Let's not forget the headline, sins forgiven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this brief time in your word. We thank you that under your good hands, someone at some point heralded the message to us, our sins could be forgiven. Thank you for that happy day that fixed our choice on Jesus, our saviour, and our God. Pray it might happen for some here this morning. Pray for we who have been forgiven that our lives might express oh, how wonderful to be forgiven. To God be the glory. Amen. Well, let's sing a final hymn and uh, very appropriately it's finished. The Messiah dies, cut off for sin, but not his own, yours and mine. How marvellous. Let's stand and sing this hymn together.
And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forever. Amen.